What do the following people have in common? I'm going to describe to you three people. What do they have in common? First is a football fan. He spends, I don't know how much on a season ticket, but I suspect it costs an awful lot of money. He gives time and effort to be at the matches, travelling there and standing in those stands. I suppose they sit in the stands these days, come rain or shine. His mood goes up and down, dependent on whether the football team goes up or down the league. There's one, the football fan. The next, a music enthusiast. She spends hours listening to music, but she isn't content just to listen to it herself. She inflicts it on others. And she'll tell you all about the merits of this musician or that musician. She'd just love to talk to you about it for hours. The music enthusiast. And then there's the child watching nature programmes. And will spend hours watching David Attenborough and, well, listening more to David Attenborough and recounting to you about the marine iguana which holds its breath for half an hour as it scoops up food under the sea. Or the bobbit, a one metre long carnivorous worm with teeth like daggers that strikes at lightning, lightning speed. OK, there's three people. What do they have in common? What they have in common is this. They are all worshippers. They all have something about which they say, this is worthwhile. They do it by the effort they go to, or by the wondering about it they do, or, about, or by the way it forms their identity, what they think of themselves. And notice also this. When people think something is worthwhile, it doesn't just usually stay in their head. They will want to express it to you. They will want to tell you about it. They are worshippers. We were made by God to be worshippers. We were made by God to worship him. But when we don't, we worship other things. By giving them our time, our effort, our attention, making them our identity, wanting to share them with others. But they don't satisfy that God-shaped hole in us. So I'm trying to persuade you, whether you think it or not, worship is relevant to you. I hope that many of us here are interested in worship. I suspect there are some who are not interested in worship. But actually, you are in a sense interested in worship. You have an interest in it. It is relevant to you because you were made to worship. And you will end up worshipping something. So getting right how we worship God is both right because he's worth worshipping and it's good for you because you were made to worship him. So let's do that from Romans chapter 12 verse 1. Let's all turn if you've got a Bible with you. If you haven't, there are a few on the shelves at the back there that you can help yourself to. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 to help you find it. If you've got a church Bible, the page numbers are on the green sheet and a few notes to show what we're doing. Romans 12, verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. In our Romans series, we've got to this verse and slowed right down, and this is our third week on it. In our first week, we tried to view God's mercy. We are being told in this verse to do things, not to earn anything from God, but in response to the mercy there is in Jesus. In response, to use words from Romans, 
to the love God has demonstrated in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we have to start with this. It's all viewing God's mercy and responding to it. This is not to earn anything from God. This verse isn't about how to become a Christian. Don't do these things to become a Christian. You need God to save you. You need to take hold of the mercy there is in Jesus. Then do these things. Then last week we heard the right response to that mercy is, verse 1 still, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. In other words, whole life devotion to God. We heard last week that devotion is to be in every area of all of life. Now this week we are told, verse 1 still, this, this is your spiritual act of worship. This is how to worship God. So now we need to hear what this worship of God is because we need to worship him. So let's do that now. First of all, what worship is? Verse uh, verse 1 of chapter 12, it, it says worship, but the Bible actually has two main words for worship. One means serve and the other means bow. Did you get that? There are two main words for worship. Serve and bow is the literal meaning of them. And they're both saying, this person I serve, this person I bow to, is worthy. Worship is making known the worth of the person or the thing you worship. In fact, the English word worship comes from fitting two words together. Worth-ship. It was two words stuck together, worthship. You can see what a TH dropped out. It's a bit awkward to say, isn't it? Worthship became worship. Making known the worth of something. When you bid £52 on eBay for an item, you are making known the worth of it, aren't you? You're saying, I think that is worth £52 and no more, unless you get trapped into the usual thing of your bid goes up. You're making known what it's worth. So if anyone here isn't familiar with the word worth, think of on eBay. You're, you're putting down what you think that item is worth. Worship is making known what we think God is worth. Well, at least it's worship if we think he's worth a lot. If you're making known you think he's worth a little, that's not worship, is it? It's making known what we think God is worth. Now, given that, what will get us worshipping? If worship is making known the worth of God, what will prompt us to worship? The answer is easy, hopefully. The answer is seeing the worth of God. That's why we read Exodus 34. It's an example of this. Exodus 34, the bit that we read, finished at verse 8 with, and Moses bowed down and worshipped. Why? What prompted the worship? Oh, The answer's easy again. God had made himself known. God had spoken and showed to Moses who he was. He spoke and told Moses his name, the Lord. He told Moses his character. He said, he's the compassionate God. He's gracious, he's loving, he's forgiving, and he's just. He doesn't just sweep sin under the carpet. Now, ages ago, when we were doing a series on Exodus, we saw God in that chapter, as always, reveals himself through his son. It's an important principle. God is always known through his son, including in Exodus 34. God in Exodus 34 spoke, 
and his son is the word. God in Exodus 34 repeated his name, the Lord, and his son is the Lord. And God there in Exodus 34 told of his love and his justice. And his son became Jesus, the man who died to satisfy justice and bring us God's love. It is impossible to worship God without knowing Jesus. All the people in the world who think they're worshipping God but don't know Jesus, they can't. Because without knowing Jesus, you don't know what God's worth. Now, we could put that more positively, couldn't we? We could turn that completely around and say this, it is impossible to know Jesus and not worship. Because if you know Jesus, you will be amazed at the worth of God and that won't stay in. Okay, that was what worship is. A little introduction to what worship is. Secondly, we're going to move on to ways we get worship wrong. Now, that sounds rather negative, but bear with me because it's to try to teach a positive about a better worship. So then it's not really as negative as it sounds. The structure helps us. Ways we get worship wrong. I'm going to run through some ways we get worship wrong. Here's the first. They're all sayings that you know, I've heard people say. The worship was good. What do people mean when, I went last week to Trinity Church and the worship was so good. What do they mean? And they usually mean this, don't they? I like the music. Don't they? Not always, but usually they mean, I like the music. That, that this is a very common way of thinking. The worship was good means I like the music. Shows we are well out of line with what worship is. How? How does this follow from our verse? Am I disappearing from the verse? No, no. Because this attitude is wrong, first of all, from the meaning of worship. What does worship mean? It means making known the worth of God. It's all about him. The aim is his glory. Now, our sinful nature results in the continual tendency to turn that round and all about us. Now, it is good if we enjoy the singing of God's praise. The reason God's given us singing and not just reciting a poem is because it's supposed to actually be enjoyable and express our joy in God. But we twist that into it's all about me and how do I feel. This isn't just a dig at contemporary worship, by the way, because it can be people do this by enjoying the music or by how moved they feel from the preaching. There are contemporary and traditional versions of this. It's been throughout the church's history that we twist what's supposed to be for God's glory into how do I feel about it. That this is wrong also follows secondly from the nature of worship. Have a look at verse 1. What's the nature of worship? Verse 1 says, this is your spiritual act of worship. Now that word spiritual is hard to translate. That's why different translations of the Bible put different words in here. Some translate it spiritual, some inward, some reasonable, some rational, some true. They're all getting a little bit of it. Because the point is, it's not just a ritual that you go through. It comes from the heart. It's an attitude. Yes, an attitude that results in doing things. It says offer your bodies. That's doing something. But it comes from an attitude of heart. Now the church down its history has had to battle against the tendency for worship to become an external ritual you go through. 
You go and do the ritual and you've done your bit. To, come, to become an external show. So in the past, the tendency was more a show that was a priest standing at a distance in robes doing very solemn things that impressed the people. Now the tendency is more a worship leader giving a good show through the music and it's all about the good show. I've got to resist that. This attitude, the, the worship was good, which really means I like the music, is wrong, thirdly, from the scope of worship. What is our spiritual act of worship according to our verse? What does the verse say is our spiritual act of worship? It says it's offering your bodies as living sacrifices. That's whole life. It's not just singing, is it? However, if we reduced worship to the singing, people even talk about we have a time of worship, then the preaching, as if just the singing is the worship. Our verse says, oh, it's much wider than that. More on that later. Let's move on to a second way we get worship wrong. And it's this phrase. I didn't get much out of church today. We've probably all said that if we're honest, haven't we? I didn't get much out of church today. Let's think about it this way. On your notice sheet it says, we give everyone a warm welcome to our services today. Why is it called a service? Why do we call this a service? It's not there to provide a service to us. It's because of this. In the Bible, the words worship and service go together. Very closely related. And we are here to offer our service of worship to God. Now, we do also need to get something from church because we're weak, sinful people and we're going into a week of serving God and we need to be strengthened. We need to be taught, we need to be equipped, we need to be lifted up with a view of God. We need that. But do remember, worship is, Romans 12 verse 1, offering your bodies living sacrifices to God. It's not about what did I get out of it, it's about how can I show what God is worth. I'll give you one specific example of this. Here's one that's relevant to Thankfully, quite a few people here. Mothers with babies. Okay, mothers with babies. What's it like? What a hassle getting to church with a little baby. What a struggle. And then when you get there, oh, there's so many distractions, aren't there? By the time you've fed the baby, changed however many nappies, felt sleepy, you might manage to sing half a hymn and listen to almost nothing. Now, you need to be fed spiritually, I'm not going to question that at all. That's why husbands need to help their wives. Husbands, I hope you're listening. But don't judge how worthwhile it was. Don't judge whether you've actually worshipped by that. Because worship is offering your bodies as living sacrifices to God. Now, I'm not trying to beat you. Come on, mothers, get a better attitude. I'm actually trying to encourage you. I hope I'm going to manage it. I'm trying to encourage you. Other Christians might think the best worship is someone who manages to take in everything and can have wonderfully deep discussions about it afterwards. Now, if you can, that's great. We need that. But remember this. God might be pleased with the mother who... Hardly took anything in with all the distractions, but offered her body in this very practical way of, it's hard to get to church, 
but I'll be there because God is worthy of people obeying him this way, marking his day by meeting together. So there is this witness. The church is alive and full of people and young and old, variety of people who put themselves out to together say, God is worth it. Now, of course, that isn't just mothers with babies, is it? It can be people caring for elderly relatives. It can be people who come in and, oh, they've got to work on sorting out notice sheets and music and deconceiting people in the right seats and think, how can I worship with all this busyness? Maybe the busyness is the best act of worship. Here's the third way we get worship wrong, and it's very closely related. It's this, don't distract me from God. Don't want other people distracting me from God. Now, verse 1 calls us to devotion to God, doesn't it? It's about being devoted to God. And worship is bowing because God has revealed himself. So you might think from that, it's all just about me and God. Be even better if there was no one else here to distract me, because it's all just about me and God. I don't want other people distracting me. But verse 1 doesn't mean that. Remember last week we saw this. It actually says, offer your bodies, plural, as a living sacrifice, singular. Some translations bring that out and others don't. Offer your bodies, plural, as a living sacrifice, singular. In other words, it's many people forming one church that pleases God. And verse 1 is summarising and introducing chapters 12 to 15, which are mainly about offering our bodies as sacrifices by how we treat each other. Chapters 12 to 15 is nearly all about how we relate to fellow Christians in the church. And that's how we offer our bodies, as living sacrifices. Verse 1 says, this is spiritual worship. We show God's worth by how we treat the people he thought were worth dying for. We show devotion to God by, verse 10, as one example, verse 10, we show devotion to God by being devoted to one another in brotherly love. We show honour to God by, verse 10 again, honouring one another above ourselves. Now, that's well out of line, isn't it, with the attitude of it's just about me and God and don't you distract me. You show honour to God by how you honour others above you. So, a couple of little practical questions on this. Do you regard the crowdedness of a Sunday morning, and it is crowded, isn't it, especially when you're getting your cup of tea. Do you regard the crowdedness of Sunday morning, the number of people here, as a distraction from worship? or as an opportunity to worship by how you treat your fellow Christians. Here's another little example. When choosing where to seat, what matters to you more? What matters to you more? This is my seat where I sit, which is the best place for me to concentrate. Or, what will help others? What will help deacons get people seated so that we can all sit in here and some people aren't half a mile off in the lounge? You might say, why are you mentioning such a silly little thing for? We're supposed to be glorying in the great God. Ah, isn't 98% of life mundane little things? And aren't they usually where our attitude shows up? 
if offering our bodies to God doesn't involve these little things, it doesn't really involve very much at all, does it? Let's get rid of the just, it's just between me and God and other people are a distraction attitude. One last one, how, ways we get worship wrong. I worship at church. I worship, what on earth is wrong with that? I worship at church. Well, where and when is the worship in verse 1? Where and when is that worship in verse 1? It's offering our bodies as living sacrifices. And we saw last week, that is whole life devotion to God. If worship is just at church, if worship is just on a Sunday, then it isn't worship. Because it's making a statement, God isn't worth very much. I'll just spare him a few hours once a week. That's not worth very much, is it? Now, some people push this into, some of you will know about this and some won't. Some people push this into, we don't come to church to worship. We come to be equipped so we worship the rest of the week. Now, I understand the arguments for that. And the people who say that do have some helpful points, but in the end they are wrong. The Bible indicates we do come to worship. There is something special about the church gathering. We are even in God's presence now in a way we are not the rest of the time. So if you've been influenced by or are troubled by the people who say, we don't come to church to worship, we're just here to be equipped so we worship, well, talk to me about it. I hope I can give you some help on that. We do come to church to worship. But it should be the high point of seven days a week worship. Well, it may have sounded negative to start with, but I hope it wasn't. Ways we get worship wrong. I hope it's made clear a better way of worship. But thirdly and more briefly, I want to just make sure that we have really got this better way of worship. Let's try and make sure we've all got this. So thirdly, a better way of worship. I'm going to try to put verse 1 in a different way to make sure we've got it. So here's verse 1 in different words. In the Old Testament, worship was by sacrificing animals. You would sacrifice an animal in a holy place, the temple, on a holy day. That was worship. But Romans 1 to 11 says, Jesus has made the one sacrifice we need. Out of love, he sacrificed himself to save us, whole person, body and soul. So how do we worship now? Worshipping sacrifices is irrelevant, in fact, an insult to Jesus, because he's done it himself. So how do we worship now? Well, by offering our whole selves as a sacrifice to him. That's our worship now, sacrificed selves for him. Offering our whole selves in devotion to God in every place, on every day. I'm not denying the Lord's Day is special, but in the Old Testament way, we don't have holy places and holy days. We have every place and every day made holy by devoting everything to the Lord. And this is true worship, because this makes the greatest statement about what God is worth. Right, that's verse 1 summarised. Verse 1 put into different words. But what's that like in practice? I want to give you some examples. What's it like in practice when someone at home or someone at work provokes you and you restrain that sharp word, you restrain your flaring temper because that pleases God? 
Is it worth doing that for God? Is God worth it? When you're on the internet and that clickbait comes up and seems to be offering you that if you click on it, there will be a scantily clad woman to look at. And you resist it because the pure in heart will see God. Is it worth resisting that to see God? When although praying can be really hard work and other things call for your time, you make time for it. And you work at speaking to and pleading with God. Do you think God's worth that? When getting to church is really inconvenient and you think the prayer meeting would be a lot better if it was run differently, if only this minister would get his act together. But you put yourself out and go. Do you think God's worth that? When you don't like that hymn tune and the words in places are a bit difficult to understand, but you sing out because Jesus is worth more than people singing in a half-hearted way as if it was a dull chore. Do you think Jesus is worth that? You might stand in the town centre and give out gospel leaflets and most people walk past and ignore you. But I notice there's a man who stands there for hours giving out leaflets to get you to buy double glazing. Is Jesus worth more than double glazing? Will you consider if God wants you to give your life to being an evangelist, a pastor or in some other gospel work? It may mean taking time, unpaid training. It may mean moving to a new place and not a very desirable place. It may mean a pay cut. Do you think Father, Son and Holy Spirit are worth that? Maybe instead God wants you to continue in your workplace, being a reliable, diligent, cheerful, kind worker, day after day, week after week, year after year. Making the gospel attractive by the way you live and taking up the opportunities to speak to others of Jesus, even though they might think you're a complete fool. Do you think God's worth that? Well, the examples could go on and on, couldn't they? The examples are limitless. I'm trying to show you this is a practical thing. Do you see, this is true worship. Because it's in these ways we make a statement about what God is worth. In fact, whether you like it or not, how you live is making a statement about what God is worth. What statement are you making? Now, offering your bodies, giving yourself in whole life devotion to God, it might sound to some of you rather wearing and wearying. On it goes all the time, having to do this. But no, no, no. It will only sound that unless and until you have done the first part of the verse and viewed God's mercy. It can only be wearing and wearying if you haven't viewed God's mercy. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We now have peace with God. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. When you view that mercy... What is God worth to you?